Yeah. I so love that man. If he's sitting there, you just preach better. He's just amazing. If he's there, you feel strong. This week, I had the absolute privilege of a of meeting with a lady who I've been wanting to meet with for, for a very long time. We were planning our next business breakfast, which is a big deal for us. We, we want to have two, 300 people there. And, um, and as, as we were trying to plan, we thought to ourselves, well, we can't just get another rah-rah, amazing, look at all the good stuff that's happening in Durban because the economy is depressed. So we can't, we can't do that. So, so we thought what we need is someone who's a bit of a futurist, um, who can look at some of the trends, some of the things that are changing. And so we met with economic development, and we met with the head of that, and we, we met with um, Innovate Durban, we met with some people in there, and, and we started to meet with some incredible people. And the city of Durban, in terms of their thinking and forecasting, is doing phenomenally, so, so I was really excited about that. But then I met with Gugu, who I've been trying to meet with for ages. Gugu... Glamini, uh, she, she took over Amgeni Water a few years ago and was running at about a 200 million rand loss. And within three years, she turned it around to be making a 50 million rand profit. So when I, when I heard this, I went, I need to meet you. And so I sat down with her and, and I said, Gugu, all I want to know is how did you do it? So she said, Ross, I, I was a Catholic, and uh, please, if you are Catholic or come from a Catholic background, don't hear anything I'm not saying in this, but she, she came out of the Catholic space, and she kept going to a priest with, why are we doing this when the Bible says this, and help me understand. Eventually, the priest, probably out of frustration, because I can see, she like goes for it. She, he eventually said, Google, I think it would be best if you go to another church. So anyway, she went to another church, and she got born again. And she got filled with the Holy Spirit, and she started to hear Jesus. And within a short period of time, uh, this Mgani Water Post came up. She was a CEO at another, another space, and, uh, and she felt God say to her, go and apply for it. She was late to, to apply, and anyway, they'd already appointed the person they wanted. They'd, behind closed doors, they'd decided this was going to be the person. She came in, and, uh, and they asked her why, and she, she started with, I feel like God told me to apply for this, and then, I mean, that should go badly for you from there, and, but then she, she kept speaking, and by the end of it, they said, we changed our mind. She's the lady. She got appointed. Then she goes to God, and she goes, I'm married to a minister. I have three kids. I have 15 minutes to hear you a day. I don't know if you've ever done this to God. God, this is my world. I've only got this. Please help. So, so this is what she does. She goes, you told me to take the job. I've got 15 minutes. You need to speak in those 15 minutes. I'm going to listen. So she, she does. She wakes up 15 minutes. She hears God. She downloads what he writes. She goes into him getting water. On day one, one person, the finance, head of finance resigns. Day two, something else happens. Anyway, she feels like God says to her, I want you to restructure. Take, take your ex go out. Which is easy. No. And, and anyway, so, so she says, well, how do I do that? And God gives her a list of questions. So she takes these questions to her ex-go. They, they read through the five questions. Three more people resigned. And, and then over the next three months, she gets rid of her ex-go. She said there were 2,500 employees, and she just, the, the top band, she just changed the top band, restructured the whole company, and she said it was because God would tell her what to do in 15 minutes, and then she would go and execute. God would tell her what to do, and then she would go and execute. And she just tells me story after story after story, and I was like, you know when you just goosebumps? 
not because that aircon's so cold. You just goosebumps because of the story that she's telling. I was just, this is unbelievable. And I thought to myself, this is why I do church, for people like this, for discipleship to happen to this extent, to bring people who follow Jesus to the point of, I will do this. You know, when I, um, I, I got to about, it was about 2006, I've been a youth pastor for a while, and, um, and I, I wanted to go into skills development, because I, I kind of figured, I've been a pastor, and I'm sure I can do the pastor thing, but, um, but what the country needs is skills development. That was where I was going, and I'm a civil engineer, so I thought I'll use my skills to, to start skills development. And so I went on a sabbatical, because I knew this was going to be like the change in my next season of life, and, uh, and I was in Peru. And, and if you've been in church for a while, you probably would have heard me tell the story somewhere down the line, but I, I was in Peru, staying in a backpackers, and there was another guy staying at the backpackers who was an older guy, and anyway, I, I went for a walk through the city of Lima, which is absolutely beautiful. I was surfing there, and not in Lima, but in Peru, and, and I, as I was going for a walk, I saw this chocolate cake that just looked insatiable. So I, I thought to myself, let's go grab a piece of chocolate cake. Got myself a piece of chocolate cake and I was sitting at a, at a bench. And one of the people, the guy at the backpackers came and he sat next to me eating cake. He said, do you mind if I sit next to you? He had a strong, I think it was German accent. And, and I said, go for it. And I said, what do you do? He said, I work for Interpol. Now, anytime anybody says something like, I work for Interpol, you feel like 007. It's just, that's how it works. I just felt like, I'm 007. And anyway, I started chatting to him, and I said, tell me what you do. And he says, no, my job is to contain the sex trade. And so we follow what happens to ladies that come through Europe, and, and through Interpol, we have connections all over Europe, and we try to rescue girls. And he told me about how the system works and the brutality of the system and how girls, basically, if they go through that system, mostly they never get back up again. And, and he just kept telling me, and, and he kept going on and on and on. And as he was going, me and my young rage started to grow. And, and, and I actually eventually said to him, thank you so much, but I need to walk. And so I started walking. And probably because I have watched Taken and uh, I have these romantic ideas about who I could actually be, I, I was walking down the cliff face at, down to the beach in Lima. And, and I said to God, I said, Lord, I can lead men and I've grown up on a game, park, a game farm so I can shoot straight. <laughs> I was about to change me in that direction. You know, you, all the romance in your head. And I felt like God said to me, you build my church and I will raise up people to fight these fights. That's why I do church. When, um, when Travis and myself and a bunch of friends came here to, to take over Olive Tree, we, we sat down and we said, what are we going to do? How, what are, what's going to be the vision statement? Because I didn't have any of that jargon. And, and so Trav led me through a process. And, and we came up with a statement. It was love people, release their potential so that you can impact community. Because basically we wanted to make disciples who would make a difference. They, were, they weren't just going to be disciples who got discipled into going to church on Sunday. And if that's you, it's awesome that you're here. But we want you to follow Jesus more than that. And we didn't want to just make disciples who, who followed Jesus to a life group. That's really good and you need to do that. And we, we didn't want disciples just who followed Jesus to serving. 
And if you haven't done that yet, you need to do that. You need to follow Jesus there. And we didn't want it to stop at praying for people in hospitals. And we didn't want it to stop at telling your friends about Jesus. Their churches make disciples at all those different levels. But we wanted to make disciples who walk all the way into their calling. The trouble is walking into your calling is like dying. You know, what happens as you follow Jesus is you go through levels of fear. So you know what it's like when you got invited into church and you kind of sat at the back and you didn't know anyone. And the last time you sang in public was at the karaoke bar and you don't really want to talk about that. And like, you're just awkward. The level of anxiety, it's not high, but you're just uncomfortable. And you, you come a few weeks and... And then what happens is one day, the preacher preaches a message, and you respond to Jesus. You ask him into your life. And then Sundays become comfortable, and you, you even going, go from being this kind of singer to this kind of singer, and one day you're like this kind of singer. Like you, you just break through the levels of discomfort. And then someone invites you to serve, or someone invites you to life group. And, and I don't know if you remember the first life group you went to, but I was terrified. I was terrified that I was going to sit next to that oak with his hands up and sweaty armpits, and he was going to pray in tongues over me. And I was like, I was terrified. But you, you go along, and you don't know anybody, and you don't know what they're going to do. But you, you go along, and you either hate it or you love it. If you hate it, you go find another one. But if you love it, you go, And this is how discipleship happens. You just keep taking on fear. And then one day, God says to you, through a preacher or through someone, start tithing. And, and now you start to take on terror. This is what's happening. You, you're becoming a disciple. So you take on that terror and you go, this is going to mess up my life. And, but you, you, you keep going. And then you get to the stage. Now, this is when you get really scared. When God says to you, when you go to work, go and speak to her about me. Because you know, if you speak to her about Jesus, within two and a half seconds, everybody in the whole office is going to know that you're a Bible-bashing, happy-clapping Christian. Like, that's what's going to happen. And it is terrifying. And some of you are still terrified of it. And, and you make that decision, okay, I'm going to speak to her about Jesus. And you know, your career has ended, life is finished, like, that's what it feels like. And you... And you and you keep taking steps, and then one day Jesus comes to you, and he says to you, I want you to leave your job. You're teaching in a private school, and he says, I want you to go and teach in government school because they need me there. Or you're in a corporate, and Jesus says, I want you to start a business because I want you to start some jobs. Or you've got a great career path, and Jesus says to you, I want you to start an NGO. Or for some of you, you're about to step from this thing into that thing because that thing pays better and you got that option and God says, I want you to stay here and fix this and change the culture. And when you get to that moment, you know that Jesus is trying to kill you. <laughs> and now you're walking in your calling because Jesus is trying to kill you. He's trying to kill yourself. He's trying to kill your self-will and your selfishness and your self-sufficiency and your self-ability and your relying on self. He's trying to kill self. And it's horrible. And today I want to preach about the process of a calling. This series, we'll look at our, our four 
our mission statement. Enjoy God, love people, release potential, impact community. I want to talk about releasing potential because we've kind of turned that thing off and we're about to turn it on in a big way. And uh, I, want to, I want to speak to this thing. And if you've got your Bibles, turn with me to Nehemiah 1. I want to say this. If you're visiting with us and you're not a Christian, today is basically aimed at Christians. Next week, Gary's back, and it'll be funny, and it'll, he'll minister to you. But t- today, I'm aiming at a Christian, so just watch and see how weird we are. Okay. <laughs> Nehemiah 1, it says this. Now, it happened in the month of Chislev, in the, I think it's August, in the 20th year, as I was in Susa, the capital, that Hanani, one of my brothers, came with, a cer- with certain men from Judah, and I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped who had survived the exile and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, the remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. And I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. You've got to ask, what makes a reaction like that happen? Here's the context. The Jews have been exiled to Babylon. They've gone through three kings in the process of their exile, two empires. And Jews have been sent back three times. The first time is through a guy, Zerubbabel. Just say Zerubbabel. Oh, I love it. I do this to my kids all day. Anyway, Zerubbabel brings a crowd of, of people back to Jerusalem. 80 years later, Ezra the priest brings a crowd of people back. A third crowd's about to come back. But here's what's going on. Everybody has been waiting for revival to break out in Israel, for everybody to go back. And Nehemiah would have been praying for Israel. He would have been praying for Jerusalem. He would have prayed that the temple gets going, that sacrifices are happening again, that the revival breaks out. And so when he hears this news, after a hundred years of people going back and there's still brokenness, he's broken. I want to zone in here because this is what's called a burden, a spiritual burden. Most Christians don't know what a burden is. What most Christians are is enraged. You see litter, you get enraged. That is called being enraged. Then what you do is you post on Facebook. Please stop. Especially if you're from Olive Tree. Please don't get enraged and post on Facebook. It doesn't help anyone. Thank you. What we're meant to do is carry a burden. Being enraged leads to posts, burdens lead to action. Okay, so here's how a burden works. A burden works that you'll get a prophecy or a revelation or a sense in God around a certain way that something should happen and the something might be you. So you will get a revelation or prophecy around healing happening. And what will happen is as you focus on all the scriptures about healing and you look at people who've been healed is you will start to feel a burden for healing to happen. 
And then you, like them, will walk around praying for the sick everywhere you go. That is a burden. That's how a burden works. That will happen with how you're doing your business. It can happen with what you're called to do. It, it can happen in any aspect of your life. There is something that God gives you a revelation of. And one day, the revelation of what God's showing you versus what's actually happening gets, the disconnect gets too much and you have to do something. Now you've stepped into your calling. But the burden, you have to learn how to steward. If you, if you don't steward a burden, you will break something. So Nehemiah, he gets this burden. You guys cold? No, you're fine, good. Nehemiah gets this burden. He has a sense of what God wants to do in the spirit. No, just so that I understand who I'm preaching to. How many of you have sensed a burden in your heart at some stage? Just, okay, so, so most people have sensed a burden. If you have not sensed a burden, it is not because you are dwarf, God doesn't love you, none of those things. I want you to know that God has sown seeds to you wherever you're at. God has put seeds into your heart. But the soil of your heart and this has happened to me, is often too hard to receive the burden, the seed. I, you win. <laughs> what you need to do is don't beat yourself up about that. Just take the next step that Jesus is calling you to. Because if you just keep taking the next step and the next step and the next step, God will slowly start to plow your heart and one day, one of those seeds is gonna take root and it's gonna birth inside of you. Okay, don't be disturbed. Focus here. Now they're in kids' church, happy. Nehemiah gets this burden. He stewards it well. He holds it. He fasts and prays. And then what happens is he needs a witness. The second step of a burden, if you have a burden inside of your heart, is you need a witness. You need someone to confirm this thing that's happening in your heart. And so he goes to the king. And what I love about going to the king in those days, and I think it should be reestablished throughout the world, is that if you went before the king and you were sad, he would kill you. This is what I want in my office. Like you come before the boss and you're sad and just dead. This is what's going on. Anyway, it came to pass in the month of Nisan in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes when the wine was before him that I took the wine, he was a cupbearer, and gave it to the king. Now I had never been sad in his presence before. Therefore the king said to me, why is your face so sad since you're not sick? This is nothing but sorrow of heart. I want to tell you what's happening because it's more than this. When a woman has been intimate with a man over a period of time, some longer, some shorter, you will notice a change in her appearance. She will start to glow. Body shape will shift a little. It's called pregnancy. Her shape begins to shift. My wife, when she falls pregnant, she vomits for three months. She gets thinner, then she gets bigger. That's just what happens. And I want to say thank you, ladies, for, for doing the pregnancy thing, because if it was left to men, the population would be extinct. <laughs> when someone falls pregnant with a child, their shape changes. 
When someone falls pregnant because of intimacy in the presence of God, falls pregnant with a seed of the word of God into their heart, something will shift around them. And you will be able to see if you are spiritually discerning, you go like, something's changed. What's going on? People who are non-Christians will be able to see it. What's going on here is he doesn't just look at Nehemiah and go, you're sad, I'm going to kill you. He looks at him and goes, you're sad, but you're never sad. There's something else going on inside of there. And people will become witnesses to your calling. And as soon as the king does that, Nehemiah goes, it is confirmed. See, the thing about your calling, you steward it right, you take it to people and understand you need a witness. There is someone in your life, elders, it doesn't matter who it is, there is someone who spiritually has authority who will witness the calling and the burden inside of you and give it legs. Many people, I think, step into things in business, in, in different areas of their lives, and they don't actually bring it to the elders for blessing. And if I were you, I'd bring it to elders for blessing so that it can be affirmed and you can walk in it. It's, it's important because you need as much protection as possible before you birth something. Nehemiah has the, he has the burden, he has the witness, and he stewards this thing so well that when he goes to the king, he knows what he needs. The king says, what do you need? He says, I need some leave, uh, I need a whole bunch of trees, and I need some permission. And then he goes to Jerusalem. But when he gets to Jerusalem, he doesn't go, I'm here now, dudes. I'm ready to take this place over. We're going to fix it all up. What he does when he gets to Jerusalem is he walks in and it says, verse, chapter 2, verse 1, then it came to, oh no, 2, verse 12. Then I arose in the night, I and a few men with me, and I told no one. I told no one what my God had put into my heart to do for Jerusalem. There was no animal with me but the one on which I rode. What he does is he studies the problem. He researches it. Now, I want to speak to you about this. I, I realized I was, I was looking at how many churches have been planted into Morningside in the last 10 years. And I counted five that had been planted into Morningside and they died within a few months, each of them. And then I started to count the businesses that have been started in Durban that I know of. And I got to about 20 that had died within a very short period of time. And this is what I want you to know. You are most vulnerable at the birth of a calling. And over this city, heck, a harbor is shaped like a womb. This should be the city of birthing things, but we don't know how to birth things, and the result is that they get taken away from us. What Nehemiah does is he allows the conviction to build and build and build. He doesn't force this thing. He waits for the waters to break. And before that happens, he researches and he studies and he understands so that by the time he's about to birth this thing, he's about to speak about it, he's about to act on it, he is well prepared for what's going to come against him. Because when that baby comes out, it's about to face air and contamination, and it's about to face challenges, never mind the coming out process, which nobody should think about ever. <laughs> Jesus needs you 
to hold on to your calling and allow him to birth it out of you. Don't force it. Make sure you understand where it's going into. Which brings me to the next stage. He goes to the people, and now it's the birth, and he said, you see the trouble we're in, he's vision casting. You start when you're vision casting with how bad it is, and he says, how Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned. Then he says, come let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer derision. And I told them of the hand of my God that had been upon me for good, and also of the words that the king had spoken to me. And they said, let us rise up and build So they strengthened their hands for the good work. I um, I was chatting to a bunch of millennials outside the other night. And uh, they must have all been about 21 to 23. And you know they're millennials when half of them are teaching English to Chinese people and they're like, work at 3 a.m. and because it's just flexibility and purpose. And so they started asking me questions. I said, um, so tell, tell us your story. And, and, and so I said, yeah. Oh, they asked me, how did you get into ministry? And I said, well, I was on a surf trip in Bali. And as soon as you say that, the millennials just love you because you must be adventurous. And, and, and then I, I said, and I felt like God spoke to me that I should I should step into ministry, and then I came back, and someone prophesied over me, there's a witness, that I should step into ministry, and then a few weeks later, an elder phoned me to ask me if I would come into ministry, and and so I stepped out of civil engineering into ministry, and now they're just like, oh, he's a millennial too, and and, uh, he's stepping into purpose and calling it, and we're starting to chat, and and so so I'm saying, what are you guys going to do? And they start saying, well, I really want to do this, and I want to do that. And, and I said, well, what stopped you? And they said, well, we don't have enough money, and we don't have enough this, and we don't have enough that. And I want to speak to you if you're that person. The way you get to the place of stepping into your calling is you spend so much time in the presence of God with your calling that a conviction builds up inside of you, and that that birthing inside of your spirit, it will grow and grow and grow until you're so uncomfortable that you want to scratch it out. Ladies, you know what this feels like. And, and, and somewhere down the line, you actually won't be able to stop it. Whatever that saying is about wild horses, couldn't stop it. You, you will get to the place where you just have to do this. That's how you want to steward a calling. But what I love about this is that the moment he steps into his calling, and it's why it's so important that you step into your calling, is that people's callings are unlocked all around him. Everybody starts to step into it. And when you step into the thing that God's called you to do, here's the beauty. Someone next to you will come and say, man, I've been waiting for someone to do this. Can I pray for you? And you start to unlock people around you. The next step of a calling is called surviving it. And Nehemiah 2.19 says, But when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite, servant and Jeshem the Arab heard of it, they jeered at us and despised us and said, What is this thing that you are doing? Are you rebelling against the king? You know, when we started this church, we were releasing potential everywhere. 
My wife was starting special needs schools. Linda was starting Weird Durban. Chester and Atti were taking over Live Village. People were even going and serving on their as governors of their board of flats. We were starting UIPs. Like People were just going out and going, God, what are you calling me to do? it? I'll do it. I, I, we had so many things started. It was just happening everywhere. And then got down the line a little bit. And we had to face the enemy. And here's what you learn about Satan. Because you can see it in the scriptures. He mocks them, then he threatens, intimidates them, and then he plans to kill them. Here's what you've got to know about the enemy. He is not coming out to play with you. I want you to know this. Some of you are fighting for dear life just to hold on to your business, hold on to your life, hold on. You think that there isn't an enemy. You think this is just like the economy. No, the enemy wants to kill you. And the sooner you wake up and realize that, actually the more control you can get over your life. I woke up one day and I realized, flip sakes, either I'm going to fight back or he's going to kill me. Friends, living in your calling, put it this way, there were days where I was living in my calling like this. The enemy will exploit every weakness in your life. He will mock you. You will be betrayed. You'll be rejected. Aren't you excited to step into your calling? This is coming at you. You've got to know it. And sometimes in the kingdom, the only thing you can do to survive it is just to stand still. Just stand and go, God, rescue me. But this is why you stay. Last week, some people wrote these things. This is called a but God card. It starts like this. Trying, I was trying to control my life, but I was out of control. I had a death wish. But God filled me with love. And I realized he is always, always with me. I was lucky. I've stopped my addiction. I've started my own business in his name. I'm here to give and not to take. I was a rugby player and I lost my contract. Life was hard and cold. I didn't even have an opportunity to finish my contract. But God helped me with a new job. And now I have a 100% bursary to finish my studies. I want to thank God for his love and mercy. I know that rugby player. It's, his story is incredible. I was a hopeless drug addict for 13 years of my life. But God was there when I hit rock bottom and saved me from a life that was a torment all my days. I've been clean for two and a half years. I was here when this happened. I was having problems with my back and sciatic nerve. One person gave a word of knowledge for prayer and my sciatic problem is gone. I'd lost all purpose in life. I didn't have a relationship with my daughter, but she brought me here last Saturday for a women's conference, and my life was changed. My best friend then phoned me, who hadn't spoken to me for a long time, and, and, and we, I can't read the last word, but it looks like they made up. My son came finally to spend the night with me when I had asked him for years, but there was always an excuse. I thank God for all his love and direction in my life. I was in a job that I'd outgrown and was not enjoying with ever-increasing stress. But God spoke to me through a prophecy that his house has many rooms and I was living in one of them and I could go to another. So I resigned and traveled for four months and now I have, 
started my own business in consulting, working four days a week for the same amount of money. Which I'm a little bit worried about reading that testimony to you because I know where some of you are at. Like, you're about to go. <laughs> if you are surviving your calling, Jesus said, I have a food you know not of. The way you survive your calling is with a food that is not your story, is someone else's story. It's a food of impact that your life makes on the city. It's a, it's a food of waking up and going, God, I don't even know if I'm going to make it through this day, but I know that you'll do something great. It's a, it's a food of faith and a food of, of growing up and maturing. You, you know what I realized if you're trying to survive your calling? I've, I feel like in the last season, I've almost got on top of life. I've almost, because what happens is you, you, you get to a certain level and then, and then you get taken out. You realize, I don't know how to live like this at this level. And then you get some input and you get some help and you pray and the Holy Spirit shows you some stuff and then you get to the next level. And then as soon as you get to the next level, the enemy goes, right, you want to come there? I'm going to smoke you. And he smokes you. And then you go down like this and then you start to learn. And this is grace. Getting back up, going back down. Getting back up, going back down. Some of you got smoked and you think God's not in it. God made you get, he allowed you to get smoked so that you can learn to use some weapons and find some different food and mature. Don't give up. Now, as a church, we just had a flipping amazing elders weekend. And the elders all tuned me. And they basically said, Ross, can you get this church back on track? with releasing potential because we need people living out their callings. We need to start planting some sites again. We need to get to 10 sites, 5,000 people serving in this city, and you need to be accountable for it. So I've come out guns blazing today, probably next week and the next week. I want you to step back into your calling. Those burdens, I want you to dust them off and let the Holy Spirit fan them back into flame. Because it matters too much. And just he sang that song. And in that song, there was a sense of Jesus coming back for you. You know, Jesus came back for Peter and pulled him along. And I believe there are people here who think that Jesus won't come back for you. You dropped him, he's going to drop you. And I want to prophesy to you that he's coming back to you because your calling is important to him. And so I want to pray for you. So if you're one of those people who the calling died, or you gave up, and you want, you want Jesus to come back and grab your hand again and lift you out, why don't you stand? I want to pray for you. I love how ladies always stand first. When a guy that big stands up, the rest of you men should stand. <laughs> Jesus, I pray, not that my words will be inspiring God, but that your spirit rests on these people and you affirm, according to your message that you gave me, you affirm their calling and you reach back in and you say to them, do you love me? Follow me.
And I pray, God, that you lift off shame. The enemy, he'll come at you with shame. He'll say, he'll say that you're not good enough. You don't have what it takes. You're a mess. You, God can't use you. And I declare shame break over people that they may walk in your life again. Now, I once a year ask this church to respond to a prayer from Isaiah 6 that goes, Isaiah says, here am I, send me, Lord. And um, if you want to go, here am I, Lord, send me. If that's where you're at, I'd like you to stand too, and I'm going to pray over you. So Jesus, I know that you've called us to this, to release callings. And as people stand, I pray for your grace on their lives, that they'll begin to grab hold of their callings again, whether it's a burden or a witness or surviving it. And I pray, God, that you will cause in this church a difference into this city by your grace over these people in Jesus' name. I pray you release angels over them. I ask that you, your spirit travels with them, and I ask God that you make their path clear. In Jesus' name.